Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Drunk? <laughs> yes. I'm Brandy. <laughs> I'm Emma. And our dear, sweet Mama Mariana is still on maternity break. But this is still your book club with a twist, and Brandy and I are still your happy hour girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back for part two, baby. Woo, woo, woo. Last week, we went off on red flags. We or you? Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> I went off on red flags. <laughs> particularly ones we may have encountered in our own past relationships. We shared some stories of our own instances dealing with the disparity in social classes. We started conjuring, conjuring. What's, how do we say this word? <laughs> Are we drunk? <laughs> what's happening? Mercury is in retrograde. <laughs> you mean retrograde? Retrograde? <laughs> retrograde? <laughs> I'm going to try that again. We started conjuring up theories about some of our characters and plot twists, and we had too much fun with puns, all while sipping on the Great Jane. I don't know about you, B, but I'm going to think twice before accepting an invitation for a late-night boat ride now. Yes, I agree. And after reading this week's chapters, I need a damn cocktail. So what are we <laughs> drinking, Emma? <laughs> well, you've come to the right place. Perfect. Today's cocktail is one of my favorite colors of any of our drinks so far, and it's no accident. Like the boat. <laughs> All right, that was it's a no boating accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your cocktail pairing for today is called Mrs. Rochester. Ugh. Since surprise, surprise. Eddie Rochester freaking proposed to Jane after a mere few weeks together. Right. And as a nod to the big-ass ring Jane received on that <laughs> left ring finger, it's a beautiful emerald color. I do like that. I'm a little nervous about the ingredients that are inside of it, but let's hope it at least tastes as good as it looks. I bet Jane could say the same. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're welcome. Here to tell us about the taste. <laughs> we are drunk. <laughs> Fuck the books. These ladies Before are drunk. Before the bartender even gets <laughs> here, we're already trashed. <laughs> What's happening? You want to bring bring our bartender in? Yeah, please. Like, why not? Let's get another round in here. <laughs> Conjure up that bartender. <laughs> Here to share the recipe for this tasty drink <laughs> is our tasty bartender. You would know. <laughs> Brandy, my mom listens to this. She knows what you do. <laughs> Come here, Ricardo. Come on in. <laughs> woo! <laughs> woo! Woo, woo, Ricardo. Let's go. <laughs> Ciao, Brandy. Welcome to the bar. Hi, hi. Are you ready for this beautiful emerald here? I am so ready. So the ingredients for this cocktail are a quarter of an ounce of pineapple juice. Mm. And it's going to become our perfect green color mixed with half of an ounce of blue curacao. Half of an ounce of Midori. An ounce of light rum. And an ounce of vodka. The recipe called for vanilla flavored vodka. Personally, is a little bit too much on the sweeter side. So yeah. if you want, we used, for a few cocktails ago, we used a, a lemon uh, infused or lemon flavored vodka. You can use that one because the oh, citrus in good. this cocktail is not that potent. So we can help the citrus side of the, of the cocktail like putting a infused or flavored vodka. Oh, and uh, we shake all the ingredients and we strain it up into a chilled glass and uh, we are topping not more than half of an ounce with a uh, lemon carbonated soda i use seven up but you can use any transparent soda that you want mess with the color of the cocktail 
Gotcha. And again, if it's too sweet for you, Brandy, you can adjust it with a quarter of an ounce of lemon juice uh, in the in the shake. Uh, it won't mess with the color of the cocktail. It's gonna okay. still be this beautiful emerald color, but it's gonna become yeah, a, little a little bit more sweet. Yes, I could use too. a little more of the citrus. Perfect. Perfect. Good tip. For the we'll next, uh, for, for the next match, next exactly. batch of this emerald <laughs> cocktail, perfect. So, enjoy your Mrs. Rochester brandy. Alla tua salute. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ciao. Ricardo. Bye. All right, woman. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh my. Your face. I wish well, y'all could like, see her face. So it's got Midori in it, right? It's got Midori and it's got this vanilla vodka. So it almost tastes like a melon creamsicle, if that makes any sense, you know? Yeah, gross. I don't I don't hate it. It's just that's what it tastes like is like a melon creamsicle that's green. It just tastes like rubbing alcohol to me. I mean, it's got a shit ton of booze. Yeah. I don't know that I would make this one again. Okay. But it really does look pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I it. I mean, it also, I feel like, you know, if you wanted like a green cocktail for like a Halloween party or something like that, like... I could see it being a good, you know, all right, I'm trying to sell it this too hard. This is supposed to be indicative of an engagement ring, not a Halloween drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's the kind of drink a man gives you when he wants to push you off a boat ride. Oh, Is shit. what I'll say about this one. And on that note, okay. this week, Jane begins to infiltrate the Stepford Wives, as she calls the women of Thornfield Estates, even joining the Neighborhood Beautification Committee to help (laughs) cement her place among them. But between their constant little comments about whether or not Eddie will marry her and a surprise revelation from John that the Phoenix police called looking for someone matching Jane's description, she's feeling the pressure to become Mrs. Rochester. Oh, shit. Which she believes will finally give her the safety and security she so desperately craves. She manipulates Eddie into proposing, though he already had a ring on hand, so maybe he was planning to do that anyway. Mm. But things begin to unravel when the police come knocking to let Eddie know they're now investigating B and Blanche's deaths as homicides, not as accidents. Mm-hmm. Is Jane imagining it, or did she hear banging coming from somewhere upstairs? Were Blanche and Eddie having an affair? Why is Eddie lingering longer and longer in B's panic room prison when he visits her? As our chapters close out, Eddie invites Jane for a little getaway to his cabin. You know, the one where his wife supposedly died like a year ago. (laughs) And Jane just totally agrees to do it. You know, no problem. Jane, that was a red flag, Jane. Uh, Thank you, Emma. She's still missing them. Emma, I will note, however, it was not one of the red flags that you specifically mentioned last week. So you can understand where Jane made this mistake. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I I didn't list, don't go to the place where your now fiancé's ex-wife died. Right. That's true. My bad. We got to add that one to the list. Okay, I'll work on that for our next podcast. (laughs) Apparently. Oh, what a shit show this week's chapters were. I was just pissed the whole time. You know, I want to start by asking you, since we're talking about Jane, I want to start right off the bat by asking if you have any idea why this Jane is so different from the one in Jane Eyre. The OG Mm. Jane is an intelligent Uh woman who stresses the principles of justice and morality. She values intellectual and emotional fulfillment. This Jane, she's... She's dropping the bar. She does share the same strong belief, I think, in gender equality. Like, we're seeing that we're getting sprinkles of it. Right. But why Why has Rachel Hawkins made this Jane so different from OG Jane? I mean, the only answer that I can kind of give to that is, like, OG Jane was progressive for her time, she was progressive for a Victorian woman of that era. That's but true. But, like, she still, had, you know, needed to get married to 
to sort of feel secure. Like, it's not like she could own any kind of property or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. it was still a very different time. So I don't know that I don't know that she was as progressive as we like to think she was. And therefore, I also don't know that this Jane, it seems like her definition of feminism is maybe a little bit different from what our definitions might be, you know. Which makes sense because that word has changed so much. Totally. Throughout the years. Right. And I think we're also talking about a character who's Southern, or at least it's taking place in the South. So also... I do feel like having come from Texas myself, expectations of what it is to be a woman are still kind of different, you know, mm-hmm. depending on where you live on the map. So, you know, I think Jane, this Jane has those touches of like being feminist and, you know, having those ideals for herself. But she does sort of still keep falling into the trap of wanting to be married and have a husband who can provide her with security and support. Yeah, it's just because, you know, in Jane Eyre, when she finds out that Rochester has a wife, she's like, oh, no, 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 no. And, like, this character knows that his wife very recently died, and she's still fine, like, letting him jump into a marriage so quickly. It just feels so wild. Well, in the old Jane Eyre, though, it's not like that Jane Eyre was like, no, 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 no. It was that he flat out could not fucking get married again. Guy was already married. You know oh, what I mean? I thought that she she was like, oh, I don't want to marry you if you have a wife already. They wouldn't have been able to get they married have been able to at all. Anyway. Yeah, she didn't want to live as his mistress is right. basically what, like, she was not going to do that. So she did run off at that point. But then at the end, sorry, it's like, you know, spoiler alert, they do still end up together. Right. And she's fucking heartbroken, understandably. When she finds out that he has a wife, but like she is devastated completely. Yeah. So it's not like she just runs off and is like, oh, fuck that guy. Like, I don't need a man. She she's heartbroken. Mm. OK, thank you. That said, there are a lot of contradictions going on with this Jane that really did freaking annoy me this week. Mm-hmm. She thinks that the prospect of John following her is creepy. But when Eddie flat out did follow her, it was a turn on. Yeah. And for someone who's been in the foster care system and she claims not to trust anyone and that nothing and nowhere is safe, she herself admits to trusting Eddie. Eddie's safe. But I'm like, based on what? You know nothing about him. You just met this person. Is it just the fact that he's offering you up his debit card? Like, what is it about him that makes you trust him? I think his looks. I guess it's that coupled with the fact that he's rich. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, I think it's his looks. And then, I mean, also she's aware that he lives in this really wealthy neighborhood. So, yes, that is is paired with that. I do also think that for this version of Jane, it's kind of a nice little fuck you to all these people that she hates. Mm -hmm. That she's ended up with Eddie. Like, I almost sometimes feel like rubbing their faces in it means Mm -hmm. more to her than being in the relationship itself. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I think you're right. And I don't know where that comes from or what that is. But like she seems more excited about the women finding out about the proposal than she did about the proposal. Yeah, it's I mean, I think it's because in part she's been dealing with those women as their employee right they were her employee so they were above her and now it's equal and i mean you know of course if you take her history of being an orphan and like feeling like she was never wanted she said that several times Mm -hmm. now these women are like probably I, i wonder actually some of them envy her because they know that eddie's a catch right for sure So now they want something maybe that she has. But that's an interesting point that you're making that because she was in the foster care system, she maybe sort of has this complex about people who are quote unquote above her. Because we did get that story this week. It's not a complete story, but we get that story about maybe her last foster dad in Phoenix or something. It's like a weird, weird. I don't know if you made any sense of that. I kind of didn't, except that it seemed like maybe he was abusive somehow. And so I can see for somebody who's like had that experience, having people look down on you or having people 
feel superior to you could be pretty fucking infuriating. And of course you want to stick it to him. Yeah. And then we got that tiny little blurb about Mr. Brock. Did you catch that? The moment where they were out, she and Eddie were outside in the Adirondack chairs. And this memory comes to her of her at the grill. Oh, yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's him? Mr. Brock is... I think later she says that was her last foster home or something like that. The impression I was left with is like maybe she does something to that man. Oh, interesting. I, But I could be wrong because it was very unclear. Well, you know what? Maybe I actually like com- combined the stories because then I went back and looked up. Because now my new favorite thing is every time there's a character trying to figure out who that person is in Jane Eyre. And right. so Mr. Brock is supposed to be Mr. Brocklehurst, right. who was the mean, vindictive supervisor of the school. So I think once I looked that up, then in my mind, I made Mr. Brock uh, like the head of yeah. one of her foster. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And so then I'm assuming you looked up Helen Burns also. Oh, I did not look up Helen Burns. Oh, my God. Hilarious. (laughs) This whole time I've been like, who the fuck is Helen Burns? So in the book, in Jane Eyre, Helen Burns is actually one of Jane Eyre's fellow, like, I don't want to say inmates, but like one of her fellow schoolmates at Mr. Uh Brocklehurst's school. Um, But Helen Burns is very different from Jane. They become friends. But Helen Burns kind of takes the abuse that some of the teachers give them and she just kind of takes it in stride. Jane is somebody who tends to kind of fight back. She doesn't take so kindly to the injustice of the way that they're treated. Mm -hmm. And Helen Burns is more of the mind of like, she's a little bit more submissive. She's more of the mind that like God will dole out punishment to those who deserve it. It's not her place to do that. So she just takes it and takes it. And then poor Helen Burns eventually dies of tuberculosis at the school. So it seems like in this book, it seems like Jane's... Jane has done something. And is Helen Burns... Like, I think Helen Burns is Jane. No? Is that her actual... Because we know Jane changed her name. Is Jane Helen Burns who killed or hurt that Mr. Brock or whoever, and now she's on the run? Uh, That's where my head went with it, but I don't know. Did you think that Helen Burns was somebody that Jane had hurt and they're looking for... Hmm, that's interesting too, though. Because if John knows about it, but I mean, John also might know. I actually never thought about that. Would John know that Jane is not her real name? Like, does John know her real name? He doesn't seem to, right? Well, but there's all these references of Jane, like, not liking John because he knows her real history. Mm-hmm. But maybe that is what that is, because I was thinking it was her history as to what she had done. But that is interesting if she is Helen. And so she keeps bribing him and paying John off to not reveal that right. she is Helen. That makes a lot right. of sense. Who maybe committed a criminal act That's in her interesting. last incarnate, her, you know, as her last self or whatever it is. Well, at the beginning of this, you started off before I interrupted you by saying that this week's chapters like really pissed you off. What? Oh, my God. What's the bulk of that for you? Like, well, I just don't I really don't like this Jane character. I just feel like she's things that she's doing are so grimy. I mean, I just can't tell how she actually feels about Eddie. Like, if she were actually in love with him and wanted this life with him, I'd be like, okay. Whatever. Take your time to grieve. Right. Oh, also like, that. <laughs> no, but I know what you're saying. Like, you know, he, him take his time to grieve. They move really slowly. They get to know each other. Fine. Great. But she just seems so calculated. She's manipulating him constantly. Mm-hmm. She manipulates him into letting her move in. She manipulates him now into proposing to her. She doesn't seem to have any feeling for him. And it's like, the story wants us to think this guy is a bad guy, but if he's just a widow, a widower, this is a really shitty thing. Like, you're just a gold digger. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think gold digger is the perfect word. Pretty much, right? And she's just trying to escape her past. She's totally lying to him. Like, I keep trying to be mad at him for, like, hiding his wife upstairs, which, yes, is egregious. <laughs> but it's also like, bitch, you're lying just too, though. Just that small little detail. You know, just that one tiny little thing. But, like, you're lying, too. Like, he doesn't yeah, know like who you are. it's like they're perfect for each other. 
I guess, yeah. Except I have a theory about that that I will go into later because I have I have a theory. Oh, now I want it. <laughs> you want to save it? No, I can go into it now. But in order to get into it, I want to ask you a question first. Oh. In our first episode about this book, you had mentioned that it reminded you of Gone Girl. Mm. And that came back to me this week as we were reading. And I wanted to ask you why specifically where that came from, the Gone Girl feeling. If I'm being really honest, it was just kind of like a gut feeling. It was just Mm. it just kind of had that like tonality. But wait, why do you ask? Is that what you're thinking? Well, so this week, actually, you know, we've been getting these journal entries from B, which is where I thought the Gone Girlness maybe had sprung up for you because in that that character in Gone Girl also leaves journals behind. Oh, I didn't even remember that. So this week, I got to wondering if B actually isn't the innocent party here. This book really wants us to think that Eddie is guilty and obviously he's guilty of something. He's hiding his wife upstairs. But we're only hearing from her perspective through these journal entries, which for all we know could be falsified accounts of everything that happened in their past and falsified accounts in order to incriminate him, right? The story of the night at the restaurant between Blanche and Eddie, where we're like, oh my God, were they having an affair? We only know of that because of her journal. So if she's an unreliable narrator from this You love an unreliable narrator. But I do think I, I could be right this time. I'm wondering if it's possible that B killed Blanche on that boat. And Eddie showed up too late to try and save Blanche because he he had figured out what B was going to do or whatever. And she threatened to somehow pin it on him, which is why she's now in the safe room because he's not a killer. So he wasn't going to kill her, but he couldn't just leave her to her own devices because she would, you know, get him locked up for murder. So now he's trying to start a new life with someone who's absolutely nothing like B, which from this week's chapters that happened that came up a couple of times where Jane Jane keeps getting this inkling that B is not quite who people keep trying to say she is or present her as. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering if B is actually a really shitty person who everybody just pretended to like or who fear you know they feared her or she was just charismatic enough that she made them like her and maybe that's why she changed her name because like jane she also did something terrible something terrible well and i wondered too like was she you know we know she was taking blanche's style for southern manners Mm -hmm. i was like did she change her name to B because B could easily just be the letter B, which is also Blanche's first initial? Like, was she going to uh-huh. try to take Blanche's identity somehow, like, after killing her? Like, is this a talented Mr. Ripley situation also? Like, is this a mishmash of just all these And there's you know, bees on everything. Books? Right. So that's my theory. That is so fascinating. I actually really like that theory. Another thing that brought me to that conclusion this week, too, is, you know, at the end, they end up at this cabin or at the end of this week's chapters, at least they end up at this cabin, which Eddie says was a gift to him from B. It was a wedding gift to him uh-huh. from B, which means she purchased this place. So when yeah. he was telling this super creepy story about how the lake out front is the deepest lake in Alabama or whatever and it sounded super creepy because like, like what she can knew you hide that. down there she fucking knew that she chose this secluded ass place where you could drown someone out front and no one would find out ever you know hmm. I think he's being pitched as the villain but he ain't the villain that's really interesting I really like that so then off of that what is your theory about why B or how B, if this is even true, knows so much about Blanche and Tripp's money problems? Because that was like a big question mark for me this week. Because I think she was hardcore. Like, I think she and Blanche were friends as far as Blanche knew. You know what I mean? So, like, that's something that you'd probably confide in a really good friend. But I don't think that B was maybe the best friend to Blanche that Blanche was to her, if that makes any sense. And do you think Blanche was having an affair with Eddie? See, that Because it feels like they want us to think that. Right. So it feels too easy. I don't think they were. Because, again, the only reason 
Well, I guess there are two reasons we think that. The first reason is the journal entry, which could be totally fake. The second reason we think that is because of something Tripp said in the grocery store when he runs into Jane. Tripp says something like, I never got the deal with Eddie being so attractive or like why women are so attracted Mm. to him, which kind of also leads you to think maybe Blanche was attracted to Eddie and he and Tripp was jealous. Okay, but that's my other... Oh, I see, I have so many questions now, like, coming off of this. This is so interesting. Because the other big question mark for me was when Tripp says to Jane, hope you don't like boats. Is that how he phrased it? Yeah, he does say something really fucking creepy like that. Yeah, Tripp in the grocery store says to Jane, just hope you don't like boats. And so then that made me think, like, does Mm. Tripp know that Eddie is guilty does he know that his wife was having an affair if that's what that was? Like, I am I actually have a lot of question marks about a lot of things that went down. Yeah, and about Trip specifically and, like, what he yeah, knew. Yeah, Trip is really Because for a second I also thought maybe Trip and, like, my theory aside, like, just based on what we read alone, there was a moment where I was like, could Trip and Eddie have murdered their wives together or something and somehow be in cahoots together to take the Southern Manor's money? Like, is Trip somehow in on this? There's something weird going on with Trip, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think yeah, that can is that be fake? It. Is that forced fake emotion? Right. Yeah, because they did seem to be having a lot of problems, like a lot of issues. Of course, we only think that because of journal entries from B. Maybe because Tripp is an alcoholic, he accidentally hurt someone or did something, but then, like, other people are trying to cover for him. That's interesting. Because the alcoholism is, like, really played up for him. So I feel like that has to be going somewhere. I don't think it's just, like, the grieving widow. Widow? Oh, God. Is it a man a widow? It's widower. Widower. Do you think they could have plotted to kill Blanche together or something? But then at the last minute, Tripp couldn't go through with it. And so Eddie did it or something. And now Tripp is, you know, it's not like he can go to the police with that shit. Like he was in on it. Well, the thing that makes me question Eddie being completely innocent is that line that we were left with where he slips and he says last time at the cabin that it was one bad memory and right. Jane is like, but he wasn't there. That for me was right. like foreshadowing. But again, if he had gone there to save Blanche from B and Blanche died anyway, that could be the bad memory. That he witnessed the murder. That he witnessed it and couldn't save Blanche and then also had to lock up his own wife because she was going to try to incriminate him. So maybe that's why he's lingering in her room so much because it's not like he has bad feelings for her. And like he's. Interesting. Yeah, maybe he does. Is that what you think is going on? Like, is he lingering because he's like, what did you make of that lingering? Well, now now I'm questioning everything after this theory, because I thought, you know, he just he's not like a (laughs) he's a murderer. But he still is grieving the marriage that he had with her. Like, if it was Mm. good, I think that's, you can still feel bad about, I don't know, now I'm questioning everything. But then, because I also was wondering, in that moment when B like, looks at Eddie and she's like, now I know what I have to do to get Mm -hmm. out. I was Mm -hmm. like, is she going to kill him or is she going to seduce him and sleep with him? I think she's going to try to seduce him. Yeah, I feel that too. But then what's that going to do? Yeah, I don't know if the aim is like seduce him so that he's in love with me again so that I can get out of here. Or if that's like seduce him so that I can get the keys. Like, are are there keys? I don't know how he's getting in and out of there. She can like stab him in the eye with the pen, you know, <laughs> like. Right. And then make a run for the door. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, I'm not clear on what the setup is or how you get into and out of a safe room. Like, because if there were a code, I'm so assuming scary. she has it. Like. Did you see Panic Room with Jodie Foster? Yes. That's all I keep picturing during this, and I'm, like, panicking a little bit. But when she didn't hear that thumping, oh, my... Or she did. When she heard the thumping, but then she, like, let it go. Oh, my... I was... That actually was, like, a big moment of anxiety for me. Well, and that then really the police knock, and I was like, the police ain't gonna let that go. Like, where is that knocking Yeah, why did the thumping from? stop when the detective was there? 
Oh. Unless your theory is right. And then she's like, B doesn't want to get caught by the detective. Well, no, that wouldn't make any sense. Because who would think that she was guilty? Right. And I think she's been writing these journal entries to incriminate him. And if she's locked up in a fucking panic room, he just looks even more guilty of what she's accusing him of, you know? So I don't know why the knocking stopped right then. Although if you're in a panic room, I doubt you know somebody just knocked on the door. So maybe it was just like by chance she stopped knocking. Well, all of this really does support what I was saying about magnolias and feeling like B is like the magnolia. It's like it looks really pretty and feminine, but actually Whoa. it's like a really strong, resilient flower. That's And like true. you wouldn't guess it by looking at it. Right. Because there, there is something with magnolias. Like they're on the cover of the book. You know what I mean? I'm like I keep trying to dissect like what that is. This is interesting. I like your theory. We'll see. We'll see if it pays off. Hopefully I'm not sticking my foot out only to like fall down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, get tossed down the stairs like fall what down that to railing. Me with Evelyn Hugo. The wife downstairs. <laughs> you become the wife, the wife with the downstairs. Broken neck at the foot of the stairs. <laughs> well, something else I wanted to bring up uh, is that in addition to the Gone Girl reference that you sort of picked up on, I started to catch little hints of another gothic novel this week that I absolutely adore and I swear I won't spoil anything because it's one of my favorites and if you haven't read it you should read it it's Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier have you read it oh no but that's been on my list oh you have to read it didn't they did they turn it into a film don't watch the film it's oh just don't unless you're gonna watch the Alfred Hitchcock one which is still very different (gasps) from the book but it's way better than the trash that Netflix just came out with. <laughs> anyway, so it's set in the 1930s, and like B and Blanche, Rebecca also dies in a boating accident, leaving her brooding husband, Max de Winter, behind. And Max marries a very young woman who's way beneath his social class. Um, when he meets her, she's actually kind of like a servant or companion for this other wealthy woman who's like traveling around so when she finally gets to manderley which is max's grand estate she feels like a servant and she always feels like everyone's comparing her to rebecca and in this week's chapters jane comments on the fact that she feels more like a servant in their house than like the lady of the house and then there's this quote that felt so close to passages from rebecca that there's actually zero doubt in my mind that Rachel Hawkins must have used it for inspiration. The quote is, maybe if I can paint a full picture of B for myself, I won't feel like she's still here, like she could appear around any corner. Sometimes it feels like she has. Just last week, a delivery truck showed up with fresh flowers for the house, a standing order from B, one that Eddie had never canceled. She's been gone for nearly a year, but the arrangement of lilies and magnolias on the front table of my house were hers, and every time I walk past them, it's like I've just missed seeing her, that she's just stepped out for a second. And that is like, it's, it's, Rebecca just came screaming back to me in that moment huh. because it's so similar to passages from that book. At first and I thought are, that you were reading a quote from Rebecca and I was like, wait, that's literally word for word. <laughs> it sounds kind of ridiculously close to some of the stuff. Oh, I want to read this. Oh, it's so good. There's so the and well, no, I won't say anything more because I don't want to ruin anything. But yeah, I'll just leave that there. And then if you read it, we can talk more. But there are a lot of similarities, I feel like, between this book and that book. Damn it. If you know something that's going to happen because you read Rebecca, I'm going to be pissed. I suspect that I might (laughs) know something. Damn you. But I don't know for sure. And I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin... Really, I don't want to ruin Rebecca for you because Rebecca, <laughs> like this book, whatever. But Rebecca <laughs> is such, it's like Sorry, one of my Rachel favorite Hawkins. books of all time. Oh. And so I would never ruin that book for anybody. If you haven't read it, you absolutely must move it to the top of your list. It's so good. Okay. I mean, it it's is so October. Good. Like, keep this Perfect. spooky season going. Perfect book for October. Yeah. Well, we haven't done any personal questions, and we've been talking for a really long time. <laughs> That's so, true. Um, I'm just going to 
throw this at you. Get it. Throw it, it out It really there. has not much to do with what we've been talking about. But I want to I wanna ask you this. So like we've been talking about, the OG Jane in Jane Eyre is a feminist who believes right. strongly in gender social equality. We've said this. And also, like I said, we get tiny glimpses of this in our protagonist, Jane. Like, my favorite was when she corrects Eddie from calling the chicks in the neighborhood girls to calling them women. Right. But mostly she does seem to just be falling into the trap of becoming a wife to a wealthy man who will take care of her. Mm-hmm. And she clocks it sometimes. Like when she says, just his touch makes me feel better. And I hate that a little bit. I've never been the type to cower behind a man, but I have to admit it's nice to have him there. And I completely understood that duality between hating that you want or need a man's comfort, but also recognizing when you do. So I was wondering if that's something that resonates with you at all. Do you have conflicting opinions or feelings around not wanting to depend or rely on a man, but also enjoying it at times? Well, that's like such a complicated question. Oh. Because like I definitely don't think that like we should ever be dependent on a man for anything but like Correct. I also don't think we should be dependent on anyone for anything Any, yeah. you know what I mean if I had a female partner I'd feel the same way about her like I shouldn't be dependent mm-hmm. on another person mm-hmm. but like when it comes to something like comfort or you know that kind of that kind of emotional support I'm like well what the fuck else do I have a partner for you know what I mean like I, I right. guess I try to think of Jason less as like a man and like my husband and more like he's just my partner who I've decided to spend my life with and like who the fuck else am I going to go to when I want comfort? You know that's what I mean? That's literally like, my answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's fine. Like, I try not to get wrapped up, like, too wrapped up in the, like, he's a guy-ness of it. Because, like, uh-huh. I married a guy. That's who I'm married to. So I guess, like, then it falls into the pitfall of, like, societal roles or, like, expectations of, like, what men are supposed to do in chivalry. And we've talked about that on older episodes. So I guess that's actually, like, that's where it does get a little complicated. But that stuff does start to bother the shit out of me. And I don't know if this has been your experience, but, like, ever since Jason and I got married, which has been, God, like, four years now, I do notice that we do start to fall into, like, gender role situations mm-hmm. at home and it's not it's not his fault or my fault it just happens like if there's a bug I'm not going to kill a bug like I'm going to call Jason and he's going to he won't kill it he'll trap it and like put it outside but like I'm not going to do that yeah I need him to do that and like I find that I will get really frustrated sometimes because like I'm cooking more or I'm doing the dishes more than he is and it's like well why because I'm the woman why am I doing this Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and then I remind myself like oh well he's working he's working working now like he's traveling somewhere to go to work Mm -hmm. I'm working at home and he's in school so like you know, naturally, I'm going to lend my partner support in those times, but that doesn't stop it from feeling really shitty in the moment and making me feel like, yeah, like a 1950s housewife who's got to take care of her man. Dude, that's so weird. Your response is literally everything that I have for my (laughs) response to my question. I bet a lot of women feel like that. It's so similar. Like, I even was going to reference, you know, calling Ricardo to sorry to say, kill the spiders. And, like, I hate it that it probably makes him feel like the knight in shining armor every time. You know what I mean? I'm like, you're not cool because you do this. Like, I can't. I won't. I can't. Right. (laughs) Or, like, in the same, you know, like, just this week, I did the laundry, I did the cooking, I did the cleaning, because he just hasn't had any time. And I have. So it's like, let me step up. And, like, normally he's way better at all that than I am. And this week I did all of it. And I was starting to feel that. And he he knows that I have a complex around that. And so he actually made a point to be like, thank you. I appreciate you. I am grateful for you for doing this. And then I was yeah. like, then I was like, oh, great. Okay, what else can I do for you now? Like, what else do you want? Right. You know? Right. Just recognizing that. Yeah. You're it's doing just, more it's the to exact support. Same. 
And then the whole thing, I, I mean, I was also going to say the exact same thing that you did about a partner. And it's not that he's a man. It's just like he is my partner. So, like, of course I'm going to go to him for that comfort. Right. He need that is his duty. <laughs> right. Well, and, like, he does the same. You know what I mean? There are plenty of times when he's the one who needs that. And who is he going to? Of course he's going to come to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it goes both ways. I think sometimes... Like you said, sometimes I just have a complex about not wanting to be, quote unquote, the kind of woman who, Mm -hmm. you know, and even if or when that's not the case, I can't help that little creepy thought that gets into my head that's like, you're being unfeminist. You are a 1950s housewife. He's going to keep doing this, like, and expecting this from you. I mean, the same goes, too, for chivalry for me. Like, just the other day, you know, we were at the airport, and he was, like, walking ahead of me. And I was like, hello. I was I like, like that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't <laughs> like you walking ahead of me. But then I was like, but why do I care? Do you know, is that because I'm yeah. because I'm supposed to walk ahead of you as the woman and whatever? Right. Again, like, what we've created gender-wise, what that means. Like, why do right. I care? Or is it because, like, if someone came up and snatched me from behind you, if you didn't look around and notice, then you've let me... You And listen to my verbiage. You've let me <laughs> be kidnapped. Like, it's your fault. You know, like, from it's the so airport. fucked up. <laughs> I hate it. But I do it every time. I'm like, hello. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> You're also not touching your drink. No, I have been. I've been sipping it. No, you have not. Yes, I have too. Okay. Mmm, melon creamsicle. <laughs> well, since we're talking about weird gender shit, <laughs> something that really caught my attention this week was that Jane says she never thought of herself as the kind of girl to dream about her wedding day, which I mm. also wasn't that, like, Picturing myself in a white dress, like, none of that stuff ever crossed my mind. (laughs) Like, ever, really, Mm. before I got married. And then it turns out, you know, they get engaged, and she goes to the dress shop, and she's like, turns out I fucking love this shit. She's (laughs) really enjoying the thought of being a bride. And I wondered, is there anything in your life that you've always thought, like, yeah, that'll never be me, that's not for me, that you actually turned out to love? Not necessarily, like, gender-related, I guess, but can be if you want to go there. Well, right off the bat, I never thought that I would say yes to marrying someone after having been with them for less than a year. So that surprised me in terms of being okay with something that I had frowned upon my whole life. That's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was, yeah. I was very adamant, you know, I won't marry anyone unless I've been with them for two years. And then it was like, well, nine months later— God, yeah, that was fast. It didn't feel that fast, though. Like, when you just said that just now that it was less than a year, I was like, it was? I know, because it's like, who the fuck does that? (laughs) We did. But it it just felt like you guys had known each other for so much longer, too. Yeah, and it felt like like that to us, too, which is why it didn't feel... Right, which is why it worked out. It didn't feel weird, yeah. And I won't say that I love being a vegan, but I always thought and said passionately that I that that would never be me, and here we are having not eaten meat, you know, except for like the those all those times for like nine years. I think I think I became vegetarian nine years ago, and I'm totally Wait, okay with that. You said that it. will never be me about being a vegan. Well, both. I said it at first. I said I could never be vegetarian. And then I became pescatarian, and that was easy. But I always, even as a pescatarian, I was like, oh, I could never be vegan. So, yeah, like I never, ever thought. Now here we are, like almost two years later, and it's like fine. Oh, yeah. So that's a big one, I guess. Yeah, I will say we always, we, you, me, and Mariana have gone out to eat together many, many times you always find something on the menu that you yeah. can have. Like, it's never it's never an issue. It does help that it's New York. That's true. Like, in Savannah, Georgia, that would not have been It would be true. very different. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing for me to answer your question is that I used to have a really hard time being alone. Like, I didn't even want to go grocery shopping by myself. What? And 
Oh, yeah. Like, I was very dependent on being around oh, people my God. always. Oh, I had no idea. Exactly. Wow. Because now <laughs> yeah. I am such a loner. And I also never wanted to stay home. Like, I used to never spend any time in my house. I always wanted to be out. And now I love being on my couch. And yeah. I love being by myself. And so... Thanks, COVID. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly. Was it pre-COVID or... It did start. COVID the shift? It started being pre-COVID in terms of like really wanting and needing alone time. But the staying home actually was a COVID thing. And I'm really grateful for it because I truly always said that'll never be me. And now I really love it. Also, yoga. I used to think that yoga was so boring. Oh. I used to hate yoga. That's crazy. Now look, look at me now. <laughs> I'm fucking teaching it. Whoa, and you did naked yoga by yourself on <laughs> Valentine's Day. That's like a double whammy. You were by yourself and you were in your house and you I did combi- yoga. Yeah. That's crazy. With vegan cheese sprinkled all over my body. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I have a lot. Do you know initially when you asked this question, I was going to flip it. I was going to pull an audible. That's a football reference, Brandy. And I was going to give a list of things that I used to love that now I'm like, oh, absolutely not. But then when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, there's actually, I have a lot of answers to this. What about you? I want to know yours. My biggest one, and it hurts me a little bit to say this because I adore him so much, but my biggest one is about having a dog like I didn't ever think that I would be the you know me I don't want kids yeah and a big part of that is that like I don't like to be beholden to something else Mm -hmm. yeah like I'm pretty selfish I want to do what I want to do and like I'll take other people into account obviously but like at the end of the day I want to do what I want to do but Jason wanted a dog so badly and had wanted a dog so badly for such a long time so when we got doc I was like okay we're going to do this, but, like, we're 50-50 on this. Like, you know, walks are going to be, you know, we're going to split this. I'm not ending up with most of the responsibility here. Right. And I was also, like, he's not going to be allowed on the furniture. He's not allowed <laughs> oh, in our bed. Right. Like, there were all these things that I was, like, <laughs> no, I now. don't. I was, like, I don't want fur all over the place. I don't. Any of this stuff. And, and now, now tell our listeners how you go to sleep every night. <laughs> Doc tucks me in at night. He's he's like on the bed with us, having his nasty little treats, getting his nasty <laughs> saliva all over our bed. And I love it. Um, and then like literally I'll like, you know, turn. I'll give Jason a kiss. I'll turn over to go to sleep. And Doc will come over and like nuzzle under the covers with me. And then I'll spoon him. And he'll do that until I fall asleep. And then he gets out of bed and goes to cuddle with Jason oh, for a really? while. Wait, he really yeah, like does he, stay with you until you sleep? He'll put me to bed. He, he like, actually tucks, tucks me. you in. <gasps> he tucks me in. We spoon. When I fall asleep, he gets up. He goes and cuddles with Jason because Jason stays up for a while longer. Oh. He'll cuddle with Jason. But then when it's time to, for him to go to sleep, he comes back and cuddles with me again. And we spoon like the whole rest of the night. He sleeps with me and Jason loves it he, this man loves to fucking call it out to me he'll be like when we got I this dog you, you said blah 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 <laughs> and um yeah I fucking love that dog I don't know what to tell you <laughs> I never saw it coming I love that dog <laughs> another one is I I this is gonna sound ridiculous but I never thought that I would live in Queens Ever. Oh. I was like, I am a Brooklyn person. I lived in Brooklyn for years and years. I was like adamant, in my mind at least, I was like, I will never live in Queens. And when Jason, when I found out Jason lived in Astoria, a part of me was like, oh, oh God, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll go there to visit, but like we're going to end up living in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And then sure enough, by the time we like started to talk about moving in together and stuff, Brooklyn was crazy expensive and Queens was not, and we found a great apartment here. And so I very grudgingly was like, <laughs> okay. And now every once in a while, like, you know, we've started talking about purchasing something possibly in the future, and we talk about Queens. Oh, my God. And putting down the roots. Nuts. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would be saying that, I'd be like, 
that's not the person I'm going to be. Like, there's yes. no way. It's like Miranda in Sex and the City when she moves to Brooklyn. Yes, when she and moves that's, to Brooklyn. That's actually, I I didn't even think about that. But that's how I felt moving to Brooklyn because I was the same. I was like, I'm a Manhattan girl. About I would Manhattan. never live in Brooklyn. That's so funny. I forgot it's so that weird. you lived in Brooklyn. Where did you live? Oh, I lived all over. I lived in Park Slope. I lived oh. in Prospect Lefferts. I lived in Crown Heights. Yeah, I guess those three. Wow. And I loved it. Every neighborhood that I lived in in Brooklyn, I just adored it. I don't, the stupid thing is like, I don't even know where that, like, I don't even know what the anti-Queens thing was about. You know what I mean? It was just like an, I, it's I like seeing brownstones. Like, yeah. I just had something in my head about it. Like, I want to live in Brooklyn. Completely nonsensical, but you know. Well, trying a it. different borough is very scary. Like venturing out, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm not going to know the train lines. You don't know the neighborhood. Where, where's my bodega going to be? Right? Oh my god, the big yeah, the bodega thing is huge. I never want to leave where I am now because I'll never find a bodega as good as the one I have. I'm obsessed with my bodega. Oh, now I can't leave Bushwick. Yeah. <laughs> this part of Bushwick for that bodega alone. Yes, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> The last question that I have that I was reminded of while I'm sipping this Mrs. Rochester. I'm sipping on her as well. Mmm. Mmm. Yummy. <laughs> Vanilla vodka. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Back in your 20s. <laughs> I was curious. You actually referenced this in your introduction. You brought up that possibly Eddie had already had the engagement ring and was already planning on proposing. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if the ring is actually B's. Oh my god, that never occurred to me. Because I also was like, why the fuck did he have this ring? I don't why think he, he have would have ring? proposed. And it's weird that it's an emerald. That's not a conventional... You know, that's not, that's not a ring that just anybody would choose. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense that B might have chosen that ring for herself. I feel like it's hers. Wow. Gross. That's I mean, there was grimy. nothing surrounding no, that. But don't you think the other women would have said something about it? Because she shows it to the others. Yes. And I actually thought about that. And one of the women, maybe Emily, was like, she said something about the ring. She said, um, I don't remember what she said, but she said something that made me wonder if she knew that it was bees, but she didn't say something. I mean, it's an emerald ring. I feel like anybody who sees that would be like, that's bees ring. Mm. No? Yeah, you're probably right. But it is weird that he had this ring. Like, I don't feel like he had been planning to propose to her. Did you? I don't either. No. That's why I was wondering. (gasps) Maybe it was a ring for Blanche. Do you think he could have been planning to, like, run off with Blanche? Oh, shit. Because I don't... I don't know. I just don't feel like that ring was intended for Jane. Yeah. I don't know why he would just have that there. I don't know. It's yeah, just, like, just it something to throw out there. It doesn't seem like they're in love, right? Like, even from him. No, they're it, not in it love. It doesn't seem that way. They're definitely not in love. But I will say, uh, well, okay, so I will, <laughs> taking it to Jane Eyre, I'll just leave it with Jane Eyre. Okay. The OG Jane Eyre. OG Jane. You don't think, you don't think Mr. Rochester is in love with Jane either for a really long time because he's kind of indifferent. He acts very indifferent to her and, you know, he's got other, you know, more appropriate women that he's kind of entertaining the possibility of marrying and stuff like that. So the whole time she's kind of pining after him and you're like girl this is never going to happen he's not even paying attention to you but then it turns out that he is that whole time in love with her and you know trying to find a way to make a marriage of that sort work because at the time you know obviously it was very unconventional for somebody like him to marry somebody like her so it's possible that what we are reading as indifference or you know, somebody with malevolent intentions, you know, maybe there is something more there that we're just not seeing in the circumstance or something that's going to be revealed Mm. later. Possibly. Okay. So you think he really might like like her? 
I don't know. It's not there now. What I'm wondering is, if we're going with the narrative in the theory that I pitched earlier, I think B would have to be a pretty atrocious person, right? If she, if we're going with the narrative that, like, she tried to kill Blanche and she's trying to frame Eddie and, like, you know, she had this whole personality that nobody knew about and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It does make sense to me that he would want somebody so different from her, which, because he doesn't know Jane's history, maybe, would be somebody like Jane, somebody who doesn't come from money, somebody who... Is not manipulative that he knows of. That he knows of, right? He just sees this very, like, kind, gentle person who nobody pays attention to because she's not of their social circle or standing, Mm -hmm. you know, Wealth yeah, maybe. level. We'll have to read next week's chapters and find out. Oh, interesting. Well, should we take this to a final question? Okay. I've got a fun one. Oh. I've got a fun one if you're willing to be honest about it. I'm always honest on the podcast. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Jane, we find out, loves the cheap $1 blue box mac and cheese. She craves it over all the delicious gourmet stuff that Eddie keeps in the house. I want to know, what's your kind of gross but totally delicious go-to guilty pleasure food? I can beat Jane on the $1 box of mac and cheese. Oh, shit. Because <laughs> mine is the 25-cent ramen packages. Whoa. Like the old school, like the Marachan ramen. Yeah. I don't use the seasoning packet. I use my own broth. Oh, but I love ramen. Jason eats that stuff dry. What? Yeah, like he'll just eat that as a snack. Without being in a liquid? Without any liquid. He'll just eat it out of the package. That is straight up in episode two of Squid Game. And what? Ricardo and I both looked at each other and were like, oh, that's no, disgusting. that's so sad. <laughs> well, I will tell him that you said that, but it is his guilty pleasure snack sometimes of choice. Wow. Oh, that crunching would make me crazy. That is so loud. All right, Brandy, what's your nasty, guilty Ugh, pleasure Mine is food? so... Well, maybe y'all won't think it's gross, but I, I... All right, I'll defend myself by saying when I lived in Park Slope, there was a gourmet-ish place that made these, and I would sneakily go over there and eat one every now and again. But mine is a chili cheese dog with grated cheese on top. Oh, I love, shit. I love, I love... I haven't had one in a long time because oh. I won't I won't eat just any chili cheese dog, but like I will fuck up a chili cheese dog. Oh, so you went for like a meal, like a food food. Well, is it a food? Like you have one. That's like <laughs> <laughs> that's like a snack, you know? That's like a between lunch, before dinner, like, you know. I never would have guessed <laughs> that for you, actually. That's a surprise. I'm ashamed of myself, but I love it. <laughs> I mean, they're good. <laughs> they're gross, but they're good. <laughs> exactly. They're gross, but they're good. And off of my shame, thank you all so much for listening. If you think of a detail we might have missed, a question you want to ask, something you want to recommend, or you just want to tell us what your go-to gross guilty food is, hit us up on the gram. We love hearing from our fans. We do. Speaking of which, Emma, you had a chance encounter with one of our listeners this week. I did! Tell our, us! Oh my god, it was amazing. Our week was made when I had the immense pleasure of meeting one of our fans in the flesh by a happy accident. That's so crazy. It was amazing. Thank you so much, Maria, for noticing my book in my bag, asking what I was reading, and then confessing you listened to our podcast. Woo-woo-woo. It really did make our week, and we are so thrilled to be able to place a face to the name. As for our readings, next week we'll be reading to the end of chapter 28. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out what the cocktail pairing will be so that you can read along and sip along with us. Cause. Cause. Is. Always. always. <laughs> 
Brandy just like fell asleep at the wheel, y'all. She was just blank in the face. That is not true. That is not what just happened. Just forgetting our thing that we do every week. I was conjuring up things in my head. That's why I missed it. <laughs> All right. Well, bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>